I usually consider myself to be quite good at self-control, though it all depends on how you look at it. One exception is streaming TV. I can get really caught up in a good story and watch for hours. Those cliffhangers are made just for me. And another new one for me, uh, Juanita's tortilla chips. <laughs> These are somewhat new for me. I think they are made in this region, though probably sold all over the country. Tell me if you've experienced something like this. You get a little hungry and grab a bag of Juanita's tortilla chips. After opening and eating a few chips, I'm suddenly in zombie mode, devouring the tastes of salt and fried corn deliciousness. Before I even know what I'm doing, I'm halfway through the bag and wondering if it's even possible to stop. Now this has happened to me a few times, and I know that the end result is an unhappy stomach. But even knowing that doesn't seem to help me avoid this zombie chip state every time. Some kind of internal instinct is driving me, and my higher powers of reasoning have given in. I have lost my self-control. Using this example, self-control could be defined in this way. I have a larger good or goal in mind, being healthy, not getting a stomachache. But in the moment, something triggers another instinct or desire within me, something that may be more primal and impulsive and propels me to continue eating chips beyond the point of return. My self-control is about my ability to see the greater or longer-term good and help myself act in ways that move me toward that longer-term goal. So in this case, if I can call on my rational powers of sense-making and remember that eating too many Juanita's chips will give me a stomachache, I might be able to exercise some self-control over my own behavior and stop eating chips before it's too late. This would put my behavior in line with my ideals of health and wellness, things I care, care about. Now, this example is a little trivial. Chip eating doesn't make up a huge part of my life or the overall picture of my purpose in the world. But Paul speaks of self-control as one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the things we're meant to cultivate with the help of the Holy Spirit in the community of Jesus followers. Now, I'll be honest, the, the part of today's passage from Corinthians about racing triggers a lot of reactivity from me. If I were reading along, my inner dialogue might be something like, hmm, what? Uh, no. Um, and yeah, no. Uh, maybe you have the same impulse, or maybe you're wondering what this could be doing for me. I'll begin to describe my reaction by saying that I was and sometimes still am a runner. When I was in high school, I was part of the cross-country team for four years, and I'm really grateful for this experience. Every summer, we had groups that met a couple times a week to run together. And then more intensive training started in the high heat and humidity of late August in Iowa. I worked really hard and often pushed myself beyond what I thought might be possible, even to the point of feeling physical pain and sickness. And yet, 
I was never a winner. I never ran varsity and was usually toward the middle or the end of the pack of the junior varsity runners. I did improve my own personal times, but I was honestly so mediocre that winning didn't even cross my mind all that much. Luckily, we had a large team of around 50 girls, and there, were, there was plenty of space for runners like me who just enjoyed the team experience and the ability to work at my own physical health and improvement. And while I love this experience for what it was, I sometimes think there are ways that we can overdo this kind of self-control or self-discipline. The things I learned about self-control in this context didn't always serve me well in other contexts. Personally, the idea of pushing myself to the brink of pain and exhaustion holds no interest for me anymore. And when I run as an adult, my motivation for running is much more about feeling healthy and relieving stress. <clears throat> so when Paul starts talking about running a race in such a way that you might win it, I'm starting to lose interest. What about the people like me who can't win? Uh, because having a race means there are losers. Competition is great and fun in things like sports, uh, but when that becomes a metaphor for eternal life, I'm starting to cringe. If there are winners, there are losers. And more presently, when the idea of competition becomes our economic system, there are going to be winners and losers. There are the 1% of hyper-rich in the world and the other 80% of the world that lives on $10, less than $10 a day. So maybe you can see where this starts to be difficult for me. Additionally, Paul goes on to say that we must punish and enslave our bodies to work toward the prize of winning. And my experience tells me that some bodies are already formed and punished and restricted just by being alive in a world where the evils of patriarchy, racism, and economic inequality still exist. I'd guess anyone who has ever experienced slavery or the impacts of slavery on our world would never use that term so flippantly. For me, after feeling the pressure to conform my body to the ideals of what it means to be a woman in this world, I just have no inspiration for more punishing. And others who experience some form of oppression in this world may feel the same. Or even those who, like me, have been conditioned to strive after a kind of impossible perfection in some way. I am much more inspired and encouraged by the words of Mary Oliver in her poem, Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. That one always makes me cry a little bit. So Paul, what in the world are you trying to tell us here? What is your message to these Corinthians? As I sat with and worked with this text, I started to see some new things. Corinth was and still is a city in Greece. 
Before these letters, Paul had visited Corinth and started a new church there. Now he's writing to them with encouragement and direction. One thing these Corinthians would be familiar with is athletic games. Because just near their city, the Isthmian Games were held about every other year. Kind of like the Olympics. Likely, they would have been familiar with athletes working hard and training themselves to get better and better and hopefully win. The Isthmian Games also included musical competitions. And the prize was a crown of dried wild celery, or a pine wreath. So Paul is using an example that they know to show that when people have an important goal, they are motivated to work toward that goal. And working toward a goal involves regular training, like spending time running each day to get more in shape. In the larger context of this passage, Paul is helping the Corinthians understand what will help them flourish as a community. So perhaps the fact of winning versus losing isn't the main idea here. Because I would assume that he writes to them, hoping that everyone in their community can win this more eternal prize. If we zoom out and look at the larger purpose that runs through this letter to the Corinthians, it is to encourage unity among these new Christians rather than fighting and division. I would assume that appointing winners and losers of an eternal competition uh, would not be so helpful in getting this uh, message across for Paul. In fact, Paul says that he is attempting to get his message of good news to all people. Setting aside the uh, competitive piece, I can focus on the elements of training and working toward goals as the point of Paul's message here. And this actually fits quite well with the kinds of virtue systems that might have been prominent in Greek culture. From my uh, personality and background, I tend to think of ethical behavior as rules that we need to follow or standards that we need to meet. Like if the Bible says use self-control, I should attempt to use as much self-control as possible, like 200% self-control. And that's what I would perceive as being full of the fruit of the Spirit. But could there, be, could there be fruit so overripe that it isn't good anymore? Could we overdo any of these fruits? Greek philosophers like Aristotle had different ideas about these virtues. They saw virtues as things that we practice or train for in order to build character. Character, in turn, helps us respond well in new and complex situations. By practicing these virtues, we, come better, we become better people, and we gradually become more virtuous. And this brings us to the ultimate goal of a happier life. But in most circumstances, we can have both an excess or a lack of any kind of response to any given situation. The virtue is the quality that lies in between, or the balance, or the mean. For self-control, having too little of it results in self-indulgence, allowing yourself too much. But you could also have too much self-control. Then you would be sort of insensitive, like 
a robot that is so rigid about its actions that it cannot change course even when the context calls for it. So in Aristotle's ethical theories, the idea is balance and a kind of character building through training. This idea is not unlike athletic training, and there is also a goal that we're working toward, not unlike a prize. In this letter, then, Paul is using ideas that fit the context of the Corinthians, a metaphor that connects with their experiences of the Isthmian athletic games and Greek philosophy, all to persuade these Corinthians to look at the bigger picture. He is encouraging them to develop virtues like self-control so that their community might flourish. Sometimes that means putting other things in front of our impulsive desires. I love how attuned Paul is to the context. In the beginning of this passage, he describes very clearly how much he is paying attention to context because he wants everyone to share in the joy of the good news. He is putting himself in the place of the Jews so that he can explain the message to them. He is becoming like the Greeks in order to explain God's love to them. Context is so important for him. He is helping them dream of and build a context that will help them flourish in God's love. So I love the way the message version um, tells this passage, and I'll read it to you here. This is Corinthians' message version. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. The religious, the non-religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did this all because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Today, in the realm of social science, ideas of self-control have also begun to see context as an important factor. Many of you have probably heard of the 1960s marshmallow, uh, Stanford marshmallow experiments. In this experiment, children were given a marshmallow and told that if they could wait 15 minutes, they would be given a second marshmallow. Then the researcher left the room. As they followed the results of this test, they found that children who exercise self-control or who could exert self-control and wait seemed to have better outcomes throughout their lives in their finances, family, and work. Their conclusion was that developing this kind of willpower over oneself was key to building a good life. Well, at first, this sounds pretty good to me. Self-control is a great value that will help you in life. It also connects a little too much with some things I don't agree with, 
For instance, that we can all just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to achieve the American dream with our own willpower. While this sounds nice, we know it's not always true. And further tests of this marshmallow experiment have questioned the original results. In another study, when researchers controlled for certain factors, they found that socioeconomic status was a much greater predictor of future well-being than self-control. Kids who grew up in poorer environments were less likely to be able to wait. Perhaps their experience told them that rewards will never be there in the future. We also know that in studies of adults that poverty or scarcity changes your brain. That in the context of financial insecurity, you are more likely to opt for a current reward than waiting for future good. Additionally, other similar studies have indicated that our cultural upbringing plays a huge role in what we are willing to wait for. All of this tells me that self-control is so contextual. Just like Paul is becoming different things to speak to different people, we may also need to understand different contexts in order to work, help each other work towards flourishing in community. While self-control might be an internal and individual quality that we develop, we also need to work at creating the contexts that allow us to have good self-control. We need to take care of each other so that we can build our collective ability to practice these fruits that lead to a greater good. For me, this points to ideas like self-regulation as a way to think about self-control. Self-regulation is the idea that we pay attention to ourselves and what we need to act well in any given situation. Self-regulation is often talked about in regards to children learning how to deal with difficult situations or emotions, along with co-regulating, which is how parents help children learn to self-regulate. Parents can help create a context where children feel safe, can process what is going on for them, can evaluate possible ways to move forward, and can model helpful behaviors. These ideas of self-regulation direct us to look at ourselves and pay attention to what we need emotionally or physically in order to pursue our higher goals. To ask, what is the context I need right now to work toward future good? Who are the people who will help me co-regulate? because we are not just lonely individuals asserting our willpower over the world. We rely on those around us to co-regulate and help us build the world we want to live in. To go back to the running metaphor, I'll tell you a little bit more about my high school experience and my context. The first two years that I ran with the cross-country team, I really struggled. I worked really hard, but no matter how hard I tried, I was always one of the last runners crossing the finish line and was so physically exhausted that I would be sick to my stomach after the races. There was no amount of willpower that I could exert over myself that would change that. Yet, my teammates encouraged me 
And my parents helped me try to figure out what was making running so difficult for me. Eventually, my doctor gave me a blood test and found out that I was anemic. My body lacked iron, and this was causing all kinds of problems for my running. My blood just could not get enough oxygen to my muscles. With this knowledge, I was able to adjust my context. I was able to change some of the factors that influenced how I was running. I started taking iron supplements, and after my body had sufficient iron, it was like a miracle. I could run and push myself without getting sick. My race times improved by like two minutes, which is a lot for a two and a half mile uh, cross country race. But it was through the support of my team and my family that I was able to make this happen. They were supportive and helpful, encouraging me to find out what I needed for things to be better. Like I mentioned before, I was never a winner, but I was able to make running a healthier, healthier experience for myself. The context of my running completely changed. While training, while training ourselves to self-control is a great thing, we also need the context and the communities that make these higher qualities possible. We need to be rooted in the divine power of God's love in order to share in the divine nature, as the reading from 2 Peter says. And we need each other's support along this journey. We need to work together to cultivate the soil and the setting in which our fruits will flourish. We need to be able to notice when our fruits might be underripe or overripe, having excess or lack of a good thing. This is just what Paul is asking the Corinthians and us to do. Let's pay attention to what is around us and what changes we can make both personally and contextually that will lead us to our goals. Let's persevere and train ourselves to achieve the virtue that lies in the balance of too much and too little. Let's help each other envision spaces where we feel belonging and we feel safe enough to put future good in front of unhelpful impulses. Let's help each other have what we need to sustain a flourishing community for a good long time.